0: For a lot of Americans, the idea of traveling, being away from home, is just a routine part of life. Whether it's a business trip or a vacation, getting on an airplane to go somewhere is pretty common. Most of us don't even think twice about it. But that's not everyone. A recent survey of 2,000 Americans revealed some interesting numbers... 13% have never flown in an airplane. 40% of those questioned said they've never left the country. And 11% of these people said that they've never been outside of the state where they were born. Those are some surprising statistics, but the fact remains that a lot of people here in the U.S. still love to travel. And my guest today, Summer was one of those people. She traveled all over the country, as well as internationally, and most of the time it all went fine. What was scary was the time she left the United States and couldn't come back. Real people in unreal situations.
1: There is a man standing in front of me in my bedroom.
2: i friend has been shot. I'm in the, literally inside the river and I'm inside my car. He
3: had told me multiple times that he was going to set himself on fire.
0: If you say my name or try to look at me, I'm
2: going to kill you.
3: And he was just sobbing. He said, Mom, Mom, tell me you're going to be okay. And
2: I jumped on the hood of the car and I held on.
3: And I looked into the garage and he was hanging from the rafters.
0: I had somebody standing on my neck. He's better to me dead. I want him dead. I'm Scott Johnson. And this is What Was That Like? Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona. Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R.
2: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
4: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international best-selling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential— Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds. Experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: Where did you live back in March of 2020?
3: I am in Mississippi, which is close to Memphis, and I was—I actually am still here, and my family's here, and um, we were. I work in Memphis, so I was—I was stationed and and based here. in Memphis grew up, raised in this area, um, work here, um, but travel all over, all over the world.
0: And one of the places you travel or traveled, is Peru. Yes. Yeah. And that's because of, you had a long-term relationship with a man named Jaime. How, how did that happen? How'd you guys come together?
3: Jaime and I met in um, January of 2015. I went on a mission trip, and uh, he was one of the local Peruvians there that was helping with our group. He did the logistics and was a translator, just a wonderful person, and, and we kind of hit it off. And Later that year, you know, through the year, we started talking through, you know, internet and just texting on WhatsApp and things like that, FaceTiming a lot. And we started seeing each other exclusively um, towards the end of the year. But we were there. I was there on a mission trip. The first time I'd been in Peru, I've, I've traveled all over um, for different mission trips and different vacations and stuff like that. But it was the first time that I'd been in Lima and we were there for a week. You know, just kind of really, we really just hit it off. He's very much total opposite (laughs) of me. (laughs) I'm very much of a Type A personality. He's got that relaxed South American, you know, attitude, and we just really hit it off. Um, Great, great guy. So we had been doing a long distance relationship for five years. You know, long distance relationships are pretty hard, but being on different continents and just that far away, it was it was really difficult. But we we held it together for five years, pretty strong.
0: So after five years, you are making plans to go and visit him in Peru. Yes. And again, this was in March of 2020 Mm -hmm. and everyone in the world knows now what was about to happen. But all you knew was this mysterious virus was spreading around the world and major events were being canceled. The NBA and the major league baseball canceled their season But Peru had very few cases in the beginning. Were you at all concerned about making this trip?
3: Back in December of 2019 was when we started kind of hearing things about this virus in China and, and, you know, things were getting a little weird over that in that area of the world. Um, I had already booked my flight because that's something, you know, when you're in a long distance relationship, booking flights ahead of time is something that you look forward to. So I had already booked the flight. I was um, planning to go in March and December. It was, you know, I I was kind of hearing a little bit about it. And then January, February came along. We started, you know, I can remember talking with some friends at coworkers at, at work and we were kind of like, what what's going on? What is this, you know, like people still weren't sure what was going on. In fact, I had a work trip out to the West Coast a couple of weeks before I was scheduled to go to Lima and was a little concerned about doing that trip, not not concerned, but just was kind of thinking about it cuz I think LA had some cases and you know, just kind of watching that. Peru had very little cases. I'm I'm not fearful, but I'm also not a very, I don't take risk. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a planner and I, I'm a meeting planner by nature and just like a, a planner, you know, just in general and the type A personality where I like think things through. I looked on the State Department website. It had like, I think a two level two warning, which is very low for a country. Just kind of checking out like what, you know, the case caseload was for them. Had no reservation about going. Like again, was a little nervous about doing a, a trip out to the West Coast more so than going to Peru. Little did I know <laughs> that when I got there, that tend to be the weekend or the week that what I like to call literally the world shut down.
0: You fly from Memphis, mm-hmm. and of course that's in Tennessee. You're in Mississippi. So I was wondering how far that is, but <laughs> now realizing Memphis is just over the line and it's like five minutes from your house, right?
3: It is. It is. The airport's like very close and we pretty much fly into Atlanta for anything. So the flight I had made, I'd probably been to Lima and he's he was living in Lima at the time, um, still is. And I'd probably been to Lima 10 times at this point plus.
0: And it was the same flight route each time. Right? So you're yep. very familiar with it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Was there anything unusual about it when you went that day?
3: <laughs> there was. So um, I get from Memphis to Atlanta, it seemed okay. And then I get to the Atlanta airport and I mean, we're all familiar. Most of us are familiar with Atlanta being the, the busiest um, airport possibly, probably in the world. I get there and there's, It's a little light, (laughs) like there's not a ton of people there. And I started thinking maybe, you know, people are just getting fearful um, to fly canceling trips. And then I get um, on the airplane and usually the flight is booked, is full. And this time it wasn't Um, because it's just a one way or a one flight a day from Delta so it's usually full of folks going back to Lima or a lot of Americans love to go to um, Machu Picchu and you have to fly into Lima to get to Machu Picchu or Cusco. And so I noticed that and like even joked with, uh, there was a couple sitting across from me and like, I kind of sneeze and I'm like, I don't have COVID. I probably, you know, have allergies, these Memphis allergies. And, and so we were, nobody was wearing masks at this point. In fact, this was at the point where the government was telling us, you don't need to wear masks. Nobody was wearing masks. No one, you know, but the flight was a little, was a little light. And again, I was in love and I was trying to, (laughs) I'm not a risk taker, but I I also didn't see any kind of concern to continue on the trip.
0: What about when you arrived in Lima? Was there anything different then?
3: They did take our temperature. Uh, They had staff, I guess, from the airport or from the government taking our temperature and that's it. They were not enforcing any kind of stand six feet apart or any kind, even mask, as a matter of fact, I'll never forget, we were standing in line, um, which the customs line took a little bit longer than normal.
0: And this is in Lima?
3: This is in Lima at the airport. It's basically the same thing. Every time I went there, you'd get off the plane, you go through customs, they would check you, you pick up your luggage, you go through another section of checking, and then you're basically free to leave. There were a lot of folks waiting in line to get you know, through customs, and there was a family that was there with homemade masks and they were made out of like bra cups. And it was, you know, when people at this point were making homemade masks and like different things like that. And that was like, you know, folks were like looking at them. Like, this is, this is very odd. It was just a weird, weird time. (laughs) Cause we were like, what, you know, like people were still so confused as to what was going on. And they had these homemade bra masks, even with the straps that were strapped on to, to the, to the pad of the, the bra, I can remember thinking, I, I still think about that family. I'm like, i wonder if they got new masks, <laughs> if they were okay with, you know, being there that way. But we stood in line longer than normal. And that was pretty much it. Like there was nothing besides them taking our temperature, nothing unusual about that.
0: So Jaime came and picked you up from the airport and what were, what were your accommodations? Where were you staying?
3: I was um, at an Airbnb in Lima in the San Isidro district, which was basically behind his apartment. So I was staying in an Airbnb, which was based Javier Prado, which is their busiest street in Lima. Lima is a very, very busy city. Lots of people coming in to work, um, lots of traffic, people out walking. So I, my Airbnb was actually facing this street that was, you know, lots of things going on. So I was there and he, he picked me up. He always picked me up and we didn't even talk about anything going on with, with COVID or anything. Cause it was still kind of like, yeah, you know, and he, there were no warning signs in Peru that they were going to close or, you know, anything was going to happen. So it was just normal conversation, normal, everything like normal.
0: So the first day you got there, it's pretty much get some Peruvian food and visit and relax, oh, yeah. that kind of thing, right?
3: <laughs> it was. And, and Peruvian food is, is so great. And his mom is such a wonderful cook. So we were just enjoying our time together. Um, at, at that point, I don't think we had seen each other for several months. So we were just, you know, together, I got to see his mom and visit with her and It was a Saturday. I left on a Saturday and did not get there until Saturday night. So the flight landed at about 1130, 12, 12 12-ish. And so that next day, which was Sunday, um, just kind of getting situated for the week and going to talk to his mom and things like that. Later that night, we were playing dominoes, a chicken foot game, and just sitting there and his brother calls on his phone and he's like, did you hear the president of Peru is shutting the country down in 24 hours? Jaime's very calm and he I, he was speaking Spanish and I don't speak Spanish, so I had no idea what he was saying and the conversation, what was going on. And he, he hangs up and he tells me, he's like my brother's telling me that the president is, is closing the country down. And I'm like, why is he closing the country down? I'm still like kind of clueless. About he said because of the virus. And I'm like, well, what, what do I do? Like, there's no, I had no idea what to do. I kind of was just like awestruck almost. And so I decided to try to, it was probably about nine o'clock at that point, And I knew that there was a Delta flight and most of the flights leave later in the evening as a red eye coming back to the state. So I ran upstairs and just threw everything into my bag, just didn't even have time to to think. I think I even took like a pillow from the Airbnb, like just stuffing it in there and just trying to get to the airport to get on a flight.
0: Vacation's over
3: vacation is officially over and panics kind of, (laughs) kind of come over me and I'm just like, what do I do? Like, do I, you know, he's like, I'll just drop you off at the front. You just run in. So I went up to the front um, to talk to the Delta agent and they're like, this flight's booked for tonight and it's booked for tomorrow night. And I'm like, I still, I think I was just kind of in shock of like, what is going on? Like, this is just the weirdest this is just a weird situation that nobody that I couldn't call up somebody and say, Hey, you know, uh, have you ever been stuck in a foreign country <laughs> during a pandemic? What did you do? Yeah, there's no
0: precedent for this <laughs> there's at all. No,
3: there's not. It's not nothing like that. So I get back into the car and he takes me back to the Airbnb. I mean, I'm defeated. Like I'm like, cause I always have a plan A, B, C, and D. And I'm like, there's no plan. Like, there's like what's gonna go on? So It was tough, like not knowing what to do. And and you're responsible, you know, for for getting yourself home, basically.
0: How did you let people know back home that I mean, did you call your parents or how did you contact
2: them?
3: I did. So they were my first call. I think, you know, one of the biggest things for me was having my parents worry. I was safe. I was fine. I was with people that I knew. Besides being in a foreign country during something that's so odd and weird, I wasn't hurt. I wasn't sick. I wasn't in any harm. It was just the anxiety of being in this foreign country and your family being somewhere else worrying about you. That was probably a sad thing for me. Uh, My dad is a retired police officer. So he was really cool and calm about everything, of course. But my mom, you know, I'll I'll always be her baby. And she was, I I could tell in her face that she was worried. So I, I calmly told him, I was like, okay, this, this is the situation. The president is shutting the country down. And nobody can go in or out like, no flights, no foot travel, no cars, because we had considered Like this whole, you know, in 24 hours, we're like, well, I can fly to Colombia, another country within South America. Maybe like he could drive me over to Ecuador and I could take a flight from there. But then I was like, well, what happens if Ecuador shuts down? I'm stuck there with no one. You know, like it was just kind of a stay put kind of situation and see how it basically plays out. (laughs) My family, of course, they, they trust Jaime and they, you know, knew that I was in good hands and I was okay, but it was, I I hate that I put them through that. Like, I I don't like that feeling of them being worried. And, and it was a scary time for everybody, whether you were in a foreign country or home country, like it was just, it was just scary for everyone.
0: So I would think at that point there, I mean, there's a U.S. embassy in Peru Can you contact them or the State Department or, or how did you go from there?
3: That was interesting. The first couple of days, there was nothing like there was no message put on their Facebook page or their website. There was nothing that gave any indication of this is what you need to do or we're working on this situation. I do recommend that if if anybody ever goes out of the country to register yourself through the state department, because eventually we were given that message. You need to register yourself through the state department to let them know that you are a citizen outside of the United States and they can give you, like, I still get emails about things going on in Peru. They give you notes about like, you know, if there's a, an earthquake or, you know, just a demonstration or something just to kind of warn the citizens. So I eventually had to sign myself up for the State Department notifications. But my main source of information came from a Facebook group of Americans who were stuck in Peru. And that's how I eventually got home because of the information that I received from that group. It was, it was wonderful. Like the information that I received and how we came together um, on that site was was valuable very very valuable.
0: How many people were in that Facebook group?
3: Oh thousands I mean any, anybody could get in there you know family members there were there were so many like moms and dads in that group where they had sent like their 19 20 year olds kid to you know backpack in the in the mountains of Peru and they were stuck. You know that's that's one thing that was sad about being in the group because you saw so many desperate people. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to stay. I was in a situation where I was taking care of the the folks at the Airbnb. Let me stay there as long as I needed to and discounted the rate. But there were there were tourists there that were either like coming home, you know, and just their timing was terrible, you know, like they were leaving the day of or, or whatever. And, and they just got stuck and they had nowhere to go. It was pretty heartbreaking to hear some of the things, especially the Americans that were and and not only Americans, there were people from all over the world stuck in, in Peru, being stuck in Cusco, which they had to get from Cusco to Lima to get back Home, because their airport could not accommodate you know like flights going to different countries um but it was you know some of the stories that were in that group about people being in Cusco and being doused with bleach by the government and you know some people testing positive for covid and being locked in the room and not being able to leave or do anything it was It was really heartbreaking to see some of that stuff.
0: It sounds like a group like this would somehow make the news in the U.S. that, wow, all these U.S. citizens are stuck. Did it get the attention of politicians or someone who could help?
3: It, it did. We had a few people, the admins of the group really kind of took the lead of being like they, several of us contacted CNN, all the major news outlets. I know a few of the folks that were the admins were on CNN, did like FaceTime, like kind of Zoom interview.
0: Were the admins in the U.S. or were they stuck, too?
3: They were stuck, too. Most of them were stuck in Cusco. So they were there kind of leading the way of getting the attention because we were like, so we knew that there were other countries that kind of had were kind of closing like Peru was. But to our knowledge, Peru was the strictest, like there were not a ton of other countries where they were not letting anyone go in and out. Like Peru was very, very strict with their COVID quarantines and restrictions and things like that. So, you know, we kind of band together and we were like, well, we need to get the attention. I contacted my representative here in Mississippi uh, and my senator and my representative, Mr. Kelly, he, his team worked very hard to, keep me updated and gave me information of what was going on. The ambassador for the U.S. to Peru left at the beginning when like the day of they found out that they were closing the country. He took a flight out with the Peace Corps and left. And that was just like such a like it was such a downer for all of us on the on the group page, where like he just left. Like it felt like the captain was leaving the ship.
0: It That's exactly what it was.
3: <laughs> it was, and and it, you know, like I don't know the reasonings behind why he left. And then, like it, it felt a little chaotic. It felt like it wasn't really being. I, I majored in public relations, and we always had a plan for everything. You know, kind of like having a um, backup plan for any kind of disaster or anything like that. And I would have thought that the embassy would have had like a binder with, <laughs> you know, a natural disaster, a you know, pandemic. No, this is what you do. Go to Tab A, you know. And I didn't feel like that that was at that point. Like and then with the ambassador leaving, it was it was it was really a punch in the gut. And we're kind of like, what do we do? What do, You know, so we band together on this Facebook group and contacted as many people. Um, I have a friend that used to work for Anderson Cooper. And I was like, hey, can you reach out to your friends, see if they want to pick this up? Like, this is something that we need to let people know um, know about that we're stuck here. And it's, you know, there's no way we're going to get home unless the government intervenes and sends planes or talks to the Peruvian government.
0: A while back, I added a small thing to my nightly routine. Just before going to bed, I jot down a few tasks on a sticky note, things I want to get done the next day. So when I'm waking up the next morning, I already sort of have an agenda. It's just a little habit that's made a big difference for me. It's kind of the same as taking care of your gut, because it's also little, but your whole body depends on it for overall health. Seeds DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic gives you positive impacts for your gut, as well as your heart. And it's a really easy routine. Just pop two capsules of seed DSO-1 in the morning. And all I can tell you is I feel great. I'm not a scientist, but I know that having an optimal gut bacteria level promotes better health in the rest of my body, including my skin. And the clinical trials and research mean the data is there to back that up. DSO-1 is completely free of sugar, soy, gluten, and peanuts. And it's vegan. It's got no chemical coatings, and it doesn't even require refrigeration, so it's easy to use when I'm traveling to a podcasting conference. Try it out for yourself and see how it impacts your gut health.
3: Trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com what and use code 25what to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash what, code 25what.
0: What can I say? When I plan a week of meals, I like to have some variety. And with hundreds of meals to choose from, CookUnity has that part covered. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. Not too long ago, I tried the cauliflower and chickpea coconut curry. I love curry anyway, but even if you're not normally a fan, you should try this one. It's one of the dishes prepared by Chef Michelle Bernstein here in Florida. She has a couple of restaurants here, and she's also a judge on the TV show Chopped, so you may have already seen her. But aside from the taste, it's the convenience. Because let's face it, even if I knew how to cook, I don't have time. These meals are delivered fully cooked, so when mealtime rolls around... I pick out what I feel like eating, and within just a few minutes, it's ready. No prep and no cleanup. And when I say variety, I'm talking over 350 different meals from dozens of chefs. You can decide based on a chef you like, or protein content, or just what you prefer. The menus are updated weekly, so there's always something new.
4: Make the best meal plan ever
3: with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what.
2: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senua Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
3: Being with Jaime and he's, you know, from that area and he always tells me, Summer, you can't act like an American here. You have to, <laughs> you know, I'm always liberty and freedom. And and he's like, especially during this time, you're going to have to be, you know, kind of not be that way. And again, this was a time when we were told, you don't have to really wear masks. mask. I didn't even have a mask. Like, that was a concern while I was there. I was like, where do you get masks? Like, do y'all have masks here? Like, I'm sure they did in the pharmacies.
0: Well, they, they had bras, right?
3: Yeah, they, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> they definitely did that. And I, I could have resorted to doing that if I needed to.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> you had masks with you the whole time. You didn't yeah, even know.
3: Exactly, it. exactly. But we were in the grocery store one time, and a police officer came up to me and said something to me in Spanish. And I was, you know, I was like, I, I don't understand. I'm sorry. And he was like, pointed, like, like get your mask on. So that was only, you know, the only time. um, And you know, and then of course the news, not only the American news, but like the Peruvian news was showing, you know, tanks blocking off streets. And I didn't see any of that. And I mean, I did, you know, being in a foreign country and and not knowing necessarily the rules and like if you get put in jail, you know, just just different things like that. That was a concern, but again, not a risk taker. So I wasn't out, you know, boycotting anything. (laughs) You know, I stayed in the Airbnb, which was hard for me, because I like to go and be out and the, you know, walking and things like that. And it was really eerie, because the city basically shut down. They had a curfew. So you couldn't be out at like nine o'clock. You had to be in your house or your apartment um i mean even people walking their dogs they would they would get onto them or put them in jail if they were out past the curfew Javier Prada the the street was dead nothing no cars no transportation no taxis nothing that was a little creepy a city that was so bustling and and busy was basically dead everybody was in their apartment so as the days went on we you know people were chattering on the Facebook group and they said you know you need to sign up with the state department and they'll they'll call you. They'll ask you if you're still interested in going back to the United States and then they'll assign you a day to come up to the embassy and they'll put you on a flight and you'll go home basically. So um I actually was standing in line to get into the grocery store because they had started implementing, you know, just a few people in the, in the grocery stores at the time. And we were sending a line to go to the grocery store and there was uh, another American behind me and we just started talking about it. And he was of course stuck there and we became friends on Facebook. We just still just following the Facebook group and trying to get, you know, they had even started a, a Google doc sheet of, you know, on our own, your name, just different, different information. And they were providing it to the embassy, but also sign up through the state department to get home. And so this guy, like a couple of days later, he sent me a message and he was just like, Hey, just want to let you know, I just happened to go to the embassy and they got me on a flight and I'm going home. So you may want to try doing that. So I got up the next day, ready to go. And Jaime was able to take me to the embassy because he had a cousin that was a police officer and the police officer basically escorted us to the embassy because ke- there were roadblocks of police officers asking like, why are you out? Where are you going? If not, I would have had to have taken an Uber to the embassy. Uh, so we went there and I stood in line for about two to three hours in front of the embassy and got to the front and like literally about two people missed it for that day. They were taking, which I, I totally respect and and it's fine. They were taking elderly people. I saw a pregnant woman who looked like she was about to give birth. Like, like it's like go, you know, kids, it's kind of like the Titanic thing, you know, like women and children, in the front kind of thing. So I, I was fine with that. But it gave me an advantage because I actually talked to the embassy, and at this point, things were more organized. It was like getting to be a well-oiled machine for them. The State Department had sent down a diplomat, uh, Julie Chung. We actually kind of had a joke on our Facebook group. You know, it was like hashtag Save Us Julie. <laughs> you know, things, things like that. But they sent her down there. They had all branches of the military there. Um, I believe they brought in the D. DEA, the drug enforcement folks from the jungle, because we have like the United States has have, have people stationed, I guess, all over the world for stuff like that, brought them in from the jungles of Peru to kind of help get us situated. Um, so the embassy got it together and very helpful, very kind. If anything, that day, it, it got me on their radar. Like they're like, OK, she is here. She wants to go home kind of thing. And later that night, I got a call from somebody at the State Department and said, okay, you're on the next flight the next day. Um, you need to be at the embassy at 8 and just bring your luggage, all your documents, and you'll, we'll get you on a flight.
0: That's the reassuring phone call you wanted to get.
3: Yes, yes. And, I, you know, I had a panic moment, like, that whole day. I was like, what if they try to call me and it won't go through on my phone? And, like, <laughs> like you have those panic, like, am I going to miss it? You know, kind of thing. But um, they were able to get through. And and when I got the call, I was like, yes, yes, I want to go. (laughs) Please put me on that flight. I'll be good to go.
0: (laughs) And that flight was the next day?
3: Yes. The flight was the next morning and I arrived and there were people already standing in line, ready to go. The Mormon faith, had their young missionaries there that were leaving so I probably was the only non-Mormon on this flight going home and I knew that it was pretty bad because again like we're still kind of everybody's still kind of confused as to what's going on in the world like I mean we know it's because of the virus now but just you know I was catching up with mom and dad back home about what's going on there. And they're talking about people hoarding toilet paper. And I'm like, what a weird time to be alive. (laughs) Like, it's just like that stuff wasn't really happening there. Like they were, you know, we had to stand in line to get in the grocery store and stuff like that. But I knew when I saw all the Mormons sending their missionary folks home, I was like, this has got to be bad. Like something, this is really serious. But I stood in line for a couple of hours and you get to the front and they process your paperwork. And then we waited on a bus for about another hour or two while we were, you know, before I I got on the flight, we had heard through the Facebook page that they were going to send like military planes to come (laughs) to come get us, which was kind of a weird thought. But um, they ended up contracting out like United and I believe Delta um, to come to come basically take us home. At this point, to me, it it felt like it was an exchange of tourists or citizens, because when we got to the Air Force hangar, which we didn't go through the normal process of going home, like through the airport, like you go through security, we didn't do any of that. We were taken on buses. And like three to four charter buses and the military, U.S. military were there um, very to the point like this is what we're going to do. This You're going to get on this bus and then you're going to get off this bus and you're going to wait in the same. Like it was very rigid, but it was a welcomed kind of structure. So we get off the bus and we sit in a huge hangar, which is the Peruvian Air Force hangar. And wait there for another couple of hours while they process us. We had our luggage with us and we literally just sat there while the dog came through to sniff, you know, security reasons. And then the Peruvian government came through and stamped our passports so that it showed that we left the country because if not, then it would be all, you know, messed up. So that was all processed and we got on the flight and they dropped this particular flight off in dc so they told us you can either they we didn't know until like the day of but they would say you'd either be dropped off in dc or you'll be dropped off in miami and once you got back into the united states you had to find your way back to your to your home so once you were done once they did their duty you were you were on your own then,
0: then it's a planes trains and automobiles situation yep.
3: Exactly, exactly. And and I will say this, you know, Delta really was a shining star in this whole situation. I talked to them probably 15 times over the course of being there. And every time, you know, they couldn't really do anything because they couldn't bring a, a plane in. But I was just like, hey, I've, I've got to cancel my flight because they kept rescheduling the flights, which was so frustrating. Like these commercial airlines weren't they weren't sure what's going on. So they just would keep canceling the flight and then rescheduling it for the next week and then canceling that, you know. And so every time I'd call them, they were like, we, we are so sorry. Like, if there's anything else I can do for you, let me know. But we can't get you home, basically.
0: <laughs> so did you fly back on Delta or United?
3: I flew back on United. The government contracted United to get us out and they dropped us off in D.C. And then that's where I called um, Delta and I was like, hey, can you get me back to Memphis? And they were on it and they got me got me home.
0: I'll confess, sometimes I let my podcast playlist get out of hand and I get way behind. But there's one show that I subscribe to and any new episode goes right to the top of the queue That's the Jordan Harbinger show. That's because I never have to figure out, okay, is this one going to be interesting, or do I wait for the next one like I do for some shows? Because Jordan's conversations are always a must-listen for me. He talks to fascinating people from any category you can think of. Authors, scientists, athletes, you name it. He's talked to undercover cops who posed as mafia and the actual career mafia hitmen. And the stories he gets out of these people, just incredible. In one episode, he talked to Paul Holes. You might know that name if you're into true crime. He's the former investigator who uses really advanced methods to solve cold cases, including the Golden State Killer. And another one I really enjoyed was with Sam Harris, an author and neuroscientist who promotes skepticism, and he doesn't mind taking on some seriously controversial topics like politics or religion. That one's going to make you think. Whenever a new episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show pops up, I already know it's going to be an episode that I'll enjoy listening to, and I'll bet you will too. For some episode recommendations, check out jordanharbinger.com start, or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify,
1: On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: (sighs) Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing.
4: At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k.
2: We'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion
0: about investing and... We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet
4: and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet
0: Our Q&A episodes
2: feature questions from listeners just like you.
4: So what do you think about the situation with ETBI,
2: which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather.
0: And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast.
2: On On the Investing for Beginners
0: podcast.
3: We had to pay for the flight, which I expected, you know, I did not expect taxpayers to have to pay for the flight to get home, but they said it would be what a flight would be to, to Lima, which is not necessarily true because uh, we it was a pretty hefty fee. Um, if we didn't pay it within a time, we had to pay it to the State Department. If we didn't pay it within time, we uh, our passports would be revoked and we'd have to pay it. So basically, we we owed the government for that flight, which, again, I expected that and I would want to do that. I did not expect a free ride, but not at the price (laughs) that they made us pay.
0: (laughs) Do you want to say what the price was?
3: It was $1,500 for a flight and it's not, it's not that much. No,
0: for a flight that would normally be, I mean, probably Lima to Miami, maybe 500.
3: Oh, probably even less. Yeah. I mean, like I'd paid, um, from Memphis to yeah Memphis to Atlanta Atlanta to Lima the most i've ever paid was 800 that was during like a peak season yeah so when i got that bill i was like oh my goodness i'll pay this but <laughs> this is uncomfortable
0: <laughs> yeah boy that's you you're not in a good negotiating position at that point no nope,
3: not at all at that point you're just like i'll give you my firstborn if you just get me home <laughs>
0: So how did you get from D.C. to Memphis? How far is that?
3: So I had to fly through Atlanta again, and it was probably just a couple hours flight. And I had to stay over in D.C. because the, after a day's worth of just waiting and then getting on the flight, because it's about a six and a half hour flight from Atlanta to Lima. So it's it's not a bad flight at all. But DC is just a little bit further, so it was about a seven-ish hour flight, and then had to stay overnight in DC. Get up—I mean, I was on the first flight back home. I probably could have stayed in the airport, and then came through Atlanta to get home to Memphis. And wow, you want to talk about again creepy? Like no one was in the Atlanta airport—not a like hardly anyone coming back. And I was just like, man, this is this is so weird this is just like you're just in this like bubble kind of like your head's in a fog like you just spent you know 19 days trying to get home and and then you come back to your home and it's like i feel like i'm in a different land or something like it just was it was just odd it was off
0: but at least you're back in the u.s and of course yes uh, domestic flights you know are going to be easier to arrange than uh than international at that time anyway
3: and at that point, I, you know, I was like, if I have to drive, because there was some uncertainty about even domestic flights being available. And my parents were like, we'll come pick you up wherever, you know, I had family members, friends, um, you know, that we were like, we'll come get you wherever you are. And so it wasn't, as long as I could get back into the United States, I knew that I could get home. So that wasn't a concern.
0: Probably some people, you know, live in California or somewhere else. Oh, yes. And- they still had to to find their way home as well
3: mm-hmm exactly right
0: from the time you arrived in Lima until you finally got back home, how much time had passed?
3: It was exactly nineteen days, so I left on Saturday, March the fourteenth and I did not get home until Wednesday April the first so it was it was nineteen days and it was nineteen days of pure like anxiety of what do i do who should i contact like you know like am i missing something and and i knew i would eventually get home like it wasn't a feeling of i'm never going to get home but it was just a feeling of what do i do you know how does this how does this kind of work situation
0: yeah i can imagine that i mean i'm myself like you i'm a planner i like to have yes. everything set out and i know what's going to happen and so i get a little bit stressed out just traveling Normally, but mm-hmm. in a situation like this, I mean, that's just off the charts.
3: Yeah, it it was a different feeling, and it's it's kind of odd because I I went to Italy one time for a friend's wedding, and we we actually got stuck there for about forty eight hours, and that was a little stressful, you know, just. This situation of getting home that way. And then like this happens and people are like, you're not going out of the country ever again. You're staying here. And I'm like, Well, <laughs> you know, it just, it, it gets built character, you know, <laughs> right. it helps get better.
0: <laughs> but, but nobody wants to travel with you though, right? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't.
3: They're like, no, thank you. No, thank you.
0: <laughs> Would you have done anything differently looking back on it now? Or do you have any regrets about any part of it?
3: I do. I, I wish that I had seen that that time with Jaime would, I, I wish I had seen that that I was having more time with him. We didn't know at the time that we would not see each other for two years. In This past March will be two years since we've seen each other. The Peru's still very much, they're pretty strict. Um, they were very, very strict. They've kind of let up a little bit, but quarantine measures and the whole situation for them was very, very, very strict. So I couldn't go to see him and due to immigration, which is very difficult doing it the right way. uh, He couldn't come here because he has to have a visa. So I think God gave us that extra time to see and be with each other. And I kind of spent it obsessing about How am I going to leave? You know, like, and I wish I had spent more time enjoying that time with him instead of panicking, not panicking. It it sounds like I was like constantly fretting. We watched a lot of Netflix. (laughs) I did some, uh, you know, we worked out, we did like some workout videos on YouTube. I cooked a lot because you couldn't really go out of the apartment. And like, we walked around the neighborhood with our mask on and things like that. But um, I wish I had spent more time with him and enjoyed that time
0: that's kind of what inside the US or outside the US that's kind of what people remember about that those early months is Netflix yes. and Tiger King.
3: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And poor Jaime was like, "What is what is wrong with you Americans?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> like I'm like, this they, these people their lives are like way worse than what I'm going through right now. It's making me feel a little better. <laughs> so and I can see where people being quarantined and and cooped up in their house, because that's what we had to do. And again, I get back to the United States, and people are still doing that somewhat, but we're able to freely go walk in a park or, you know, here where I live, it wasn't as strict as even some areas in the United States. So having that freedom back again, and I know that sounds so silly, but being somebody that likes to go, 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 I could see where people who are quarantined, are in, you know, staying in their apartments, get so depressed and like just so sad, and like it changes you mentally. And I, that was something that that was a little scary for me because I was like, I can't stay in this Airbnb all day long, just sitting here, like watching TV. Like I want, I need to get out. I need to breathe fresh air, you know, kind of thing. So that was something that was a little different for me. And then getting back home. I enjoyed being able to get out and drive my car and like do things like that.
0: When you fly now to Peru or really anywhere outside the US, do you ever have it in the back of your head that something like that might happen again?
3: Well, I haven't been out of the country since this incident. I told my mom, I was like, after I came back, I'm I'm like, I have a little bit of, you know, PTSD or, you know, kind of Issues like it's going to be a long time before I go back to Peru or leave the country. I travel within the United States, of course, for work and things like that. But yeah, I definitely will think about that, kind of have a game plan, you know. And if it wasn't for the the US government coming in to get us out, we probably, I'm not going to say we'd probably still be there because we eventually could leave, but it would have been months and months. So yeah, I do think about things like that and and eventually one day I'll get back into traveling outside of the United States and will probably sign up for the state department. <laughs> whatever country I'm going to um, to make sure I get notifications and to make sure that they know that I'm there kind of thing.
0: I wasn't aware of that. That's really good advice to get, to register yourself just so they're they know, you know, that you're there. That's a good idea.
3: It is. And you know, it's funny because like I always I always think, you know, it's it's our responsibility. Like once you leave the country, the government really doesn't necessarily have to come help you. Like it would be nice that they do. But in a situation like this, government intervention had to happen for us to get out. Peru was not letting, they they only let like, I want to say, I think 10 flights out per day from a country. And like, I think the United States had three to four, if my numbers are right. I know when we were waiting in the hangar, I saw a Swiss airplane, Israeli airplane, um, the Mexican airplane, like, but the United States had a majority of those airplanes. And it took a diplomat and the president of the United States and, and his staff to basically negotiate, hey, we need to get these folks out. So at that point, we had to have the government intervene because there was no way we could have done it on our own.
0: So politicians actually did something good for one. They
3: did. They did. You know, going through this whole immigration process, I've been kind of jaded with with government stuff. Things have gone so wrong with that. Um, And my representative from the state of Mississippi really, I mean, it kind of was a light for me to say, okay, they are helping they are doing they are serving the public so it, it made me see that if anything that i learned um that that the government is not all that you know, like they were helping they were helping and i'm very appreciative of that
0: doing their job yeah
3: yeah absolutely
0: well, let's hope that it doesn't happen again oh no <laughs> thanks for sharing your story
3: thank you thank you for having me i really appreciate it
0: There's an interesting side note about this story. You heard Summer talking about that Facebook group she was in with the people who were stranded in Peru and their family members. Well, one of the people in that group was a celebrity. It was Dee Snyder, who's an actor, a songwriter, and probably best known as the lead singer in the band Twisted Sister. He was in this Facebook group because his daughter was stuck in Peru. I reached out to mr schneider to see if he'd like to provide some perspective on his experience during this time but his management team advised me that he would unfortunately not be able to participate in the podcast episode and now i have some big news and it has to do with my mom her name is karen if you've listened to past episodes of this podcast you may have heard my mom I brought her on the show around the time COVID was just starting to go crazy, and everyone was staying home. Here's a clip from the opener of episode 48.
1: Hello, my name's Karen. I'm 77 years old, and I'm Scott's mom.
0: Yep, that's my mom. I'm an optimist, and I inherited that from her. She lives about five minutes from me in a condo that she and my dad bought about three and a half years ago. They moved in. And we're only there about three days before my dad went in the hospital and passed away shortly after that. So she lives there alone and we see her pretty regularly. But now we have this virus situation and we all have to stay home. What does she do all day? Well, she stays pretty busy.
1: I like to start my day by taking a walk. And when I get back home, I sometimes have a list of things that I want to accomplish during the day. Sometimes I do them, sometimes I don't. I'm retired, so I can do what I want.
0: Did I mention she stays busy?
1: I can mop the floors and dust, or uh, I can get on my computer and play games. Um, I can call a friend. I can encourage them, and I get phone calls. I can do jigsaw puzzles on my computer. I can play games on my phone. I'm catching up on uh, on my reading.
0: But wait, there's more.
1: Reading my Bible through this year in chronological order, and I'm taking Bible courses on BBN. I do laundry. Sunday, we have lunch together. I have lunch together with family on Zoom. I do the ladies' Bible study on Tuesday night on Zoom. I do another ladies' Bible study on Wednesday night on Zoom. And Saturday morning, I do Weight Watchers on
0: Zoom. Holy cow, my mom is retired, and she's busier than I am.
1: (laughs) I don't do all that every day. (laughs)
0: this summer my mom just had her 80th birthday she still walks a couple of miles most mornings and she's doing fine every so often she has everyone over to her place for a game night so it's me and my wife and our two kids and my brother's family with their boys and a girlfriend and i say kids but of course they're all adults now Anyway, a few weeks ago, she invited everyone over, and we're all there just kind of chatting, and Mom announces that she has something to say to all of us. She has an announcement. Well, that got everyone's attention. We're all wondering, what's going on? What are we about to hear? That's when my mom told us the news. She's getting married And I'd have to say that that's probably the biggest surprise I have ever had. I never would have predicted that. None of us would have. So, who is this guy? Her soon-to-be new husband. His name is Jim. His family and our family have been friends literally my whole life. Jim and his wife Janet had three girls. And in our family, we have three boys. And we all grew up together in Ohio. They were over at our house. We were at their house. Jim and my dad worked together and we were always just very close. At some point, when I was a teenager, they moved to Indiana and then later we moved to Florida, but we've always kept in touch. Jim's been alone since Janet passed away in 2019. So here we have these two people, both still in good health, who have known each other for something like 60 years. And even though no one could have guessed it, it really does make perfect sense that they would get together. And yes, since Jim has three girls and my mom has three boys, there have been mentions that this is a real-life Brady Bunch. We're all really happy for them. The wedding is November 12 of this year, 2022. If you'd like to send them a card, you're welcome to. Just send it to Karen and Jim, care of my address, which is P.O. Box 5, safety harbor florida 34695 and i'll pass it along to the newlyweds so enough of the personal stuff let's get on to this week's listener story we end each episode of the podcast with a story that's been sent in by a listener it can be funny sad inspiring whatever so if you have something interesting that you can tell in about five minutes record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me scott at whatwasthatlike.com. This week's story is going to make you smile. Stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks.
2: Hi, Scott. My name is Samantha, and I just was listening to your bonus episode of Childbirth Stories, and one thing was missing. My story. My second child, my son, was extremely healthy throughout the pregnancy. There were no indications of any health issues at all. The labor was fairly quick, and I wouldn't say easy, but he came out with no problem at all. I looked down at him and I said, oh, he has Down syndrome. And I remember very vividly the midwife shushing me. And I looked back at her and I said, look, look at him. Look at his, his eyes. They're almond-shaped. They're, they're beautiful. But he has Down syndrome. And I have to say that at that moment, it probably was the most frightened I've ever been. And the most unsure. I had so many questions about what this child would be like. Would I be able to take care of him? Would he love me? Would he be able to speak? So many ridiculous thoughts that came through my mind. And I can say today that he is nine years old in the greatest blessing of my life. I have grown so much as a person just being able to be his mother. He is smart. He is funny. He is mischievous. And my favorite part of his birth story is when I ask him, when you were born, what was the first word that you said to mommy? And he says, surprise.